You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning. Welcome to Money for Nothing. I'm Brian Curtis. The Fed minutes show that they want to move cautiously on the taper. The Republicans want to make fighting poverty their issue. Tencent invests in a taxi app. Taobao says sayonara to Bitcoin. And unemployment in Europe spoils the party as it comes in at 12.1%. A little food for thought this morning. Now, in the end, again, they decided to begin the tapering by $10 billion a month. Again, there was a healthy discussion about whether the economic conditions were sufficient enough that they could start to do even more. Let me read you more from the minutes. Among those inclined to begin to reduce the pace of asset purchases at this meeting, many favored a modest initial reduction accompanied by guidance indicating that decisions regarding future reductions would depend on economic and financial developments as well as the efficacy and costs of purchases. Okay, so a bit of a long tease. Peter Cook there from Bloomberg talking about the Fed minutes and this one. You know, today things are more normal. They're not saying that there's not full levels in parts of the marketplace today. There are. And I still don't think there are enough financial assets really to demand. But it feels better because we've got a rate paradigm that's got the right level of volatility and the right convexity to in terms of upside versus downside. Yeah, paradigm and convexity, the dreaded jargon. He's talking about the curvature in the relationship there between bond prices and bond yields, and really that things are just a whole lot more normal now, that it was crazy when the yield on the 10-year had dropped all the way down to 1.6%. Uh, I'll post a proper definition on our Money for Nothing webpage later about convexity and looking at uh, the risk in bond prices if you are interested. I'm sure many of you would not be. Um, and we'll get to the uh, 10-year. The 10-year was up over 3%, so a little bit movement down in bond prices and uh, upward movement in the yields. But that's not what I came here to tell you about. Uh, you want to know why people hate the corporates? Stories like this. Macy's lays off 2,500 workers despite sales being up 3.6%. The move will add blah, blah, blah to the bottom line. Okay, that's good. And the stock goes up 6%. But would I buy that stock? No. Do I have a story for, uh, or do I uh, uh, have a story for Terry Lundgren, the CEO of Macy's? Yes. Yes, Terry at RTHK, we worry about people putting food on the table. Come work with us at RTHK for about six months and I will fix you. Anyway, that was uh, a move by Macy's and it's kind of sad, you know. I mean, they're doing great. They're, they had a great quarter last quarter and they're laying off 2,500 people just so the bottom line looks even better. Well, joining us on the program this morning is Richard Harris from Port Shelter Investment Management. He'll be along in a minute. Vincent Lee from the HKMA. Vincent will be talking about uh, financial consumer education. And Enid Choi, our reporter, will join us for that discussion. We'll also be looking at the political impasse in Thailand. Joining us for that is Crystal Tan from Capital Economics in Singapore. And we'll have tidbits on all these stories that I headlined uh, beginning now with a little bit more on the Fed Minutes with Blue Bloomberg's Peter Cook. Back on December 18th, the Fed announced it will begin tapering its bond buying by $10 billion a month. Now, thanks to these minutes, we know more about the debate that went on around that Fed table, the uh, information that led to that decision. The minutes suggest that there were some at the table pushing for an even bigger taper, and members of the FOMC growing more worried about the cost-benefit analysis of the bond buying program overall. Let me read to you from the minutes. A majority of participants judged that the marginal efficacy of purchases was likely declining as 
purchases continue, although some noted the difficulty inherent in making such an assessment. So what were they worried about in terms of the cost-benefit analysis? Well, the minutes go on to say participants were most concerned about the marginal cost of additional asset purchases arising from risks to financial stability, pointing out that a highly accommodative stance of monetary policy could provide an incentive for excessive risk-taking in the financial sector. So there were some worries on their horizon. Now, in the end, again, they decided to begin the tapering by $10 billion a month. Again, there was a healthy discussion about whether the economic conditions were sufficient enough that they could start to do even more. Let me read you more from the minutes. Among those inclined to begin to reduce the pace of asset purchases at this meeting, many favored a modest initial reduction accompanied by guidance indicating that decisions regarding future reductions would depend on economic and financial development as well as the efficacy and costs of purchases. Some other participants preferred a larger reduction in purchases at this meeting and future reductions that would bring the program to a close relatively qu quickly. And there were a few participants, the minutes go on to say, who indicated they'd like to see a more deterministic path of the taper, of the taper going forward, the bond buying going forward, more guidance to the markets as to exactly what the pace would be and when the entire thing would be wrapped up. So the basic takeaway from that is just that they want to move uh, very cautiously. That was Peter Cook from Bloomberg. No notes and kind of long and rambling, but he does sum up most of the major points. The S&P 500 was flat for the day. In the end, uh, it was down a little less than uh, four-tenths of one percent of one point. So just 1837. Call that unchanged. The Nasdaq was higher, though, up 12 points at 4165. The Dow down 68 to 16,462. Rick Reeder from BlackRock feels pretty good today about markets. I'm pretty optimistic. I uh, we just talked about how I actually think the uh, the bond market. We you know coming into 2013, rates were distorted. We were 130, 140 base points off of normal levels because the way the Fed was distorting rates. We're back to normalcy, and uh, and I think it's good for bond markets, good for equity markets. It's uh, you know usually bond guys aren't supposed to have a, a very optimistic view of the world, but but uh, but I'm actually I think there's uh, I think fixing it was hard to generate a lot of positive return, but I actually think you can create some positive return, and I think the broader markets should be in good shape. In Japan this morning, the Nikkei has opened down 140 points. That's nine-tenths of 1% lower, 15,980. In Australia, the ASX 200 is down 17 points at 5,300, right on the button. And in uh, Seoul, the Kospi is up four points at 1963. The dollar is trading at 104.81 yen, so a little change there. The euro, 1.357 U.S. dollars. The pound, 12 Hong Kong dollars, 75 cents. A couple of quick corporate stories. Tencent Holdings has moved in on a Chinese cab reservation app. It's uh, Diddy Taxi. Uh, it's a plan to promote Tencent payment service to users accessing the web through mobile devices. A Tencent spokesman said the company was one of the investors for DD Taxi's $100 million fundraising effort. Tencent itself is the biggest internet company in Asia. And Diddy Taxi works with some 300,000 taxis. It operates in 30 cities, including Beijing and Shanghai. Users of Tencent's instant messaging app WeChat can pay for Diddy Taxi using the app's Weixin payment service. And uh, back to that Macy's story. So joking around a little bit earlier about Terry Lundgren, the CEO. Anyway, Macy's said that it would cut 2,500 jobs to reduce cost. At the same time, Macy's did forecast profit for its next fiscal year that is higher than analyst estimates. The job cuts and other actions will save about $100 million per year. Macy's stock was up 5.4%. The stock advanced 37% last year, compared with a 30% gain for the S&P 500.
And this is kind of an interesting note. Short seller Carson Block says you're kidding yourself if you are rushing back into U.S. listed China stocks. He says the accounting scandals of 2011 are still uh, there with us. Mr. Block is in a battle over NQ Mobile. Uh, That is a payments firm, uh, an Internet firm. He released an extensive report uh, accusing NQ of fraud and mismanagement. But recently, Morgan Stanley and Oberweiss Asset Management have vastly increased their stakes and taken quite long positions. Let's say good morning now to Richard Harris, Chief Executive, Port Shelter Investment Management. Richard, good morning. Good morning, Brian. You're looking very smart this morning. Yeah, we got a big meeting this afternoon with uh, Hong Kong University. And uh, just to let you into a little of this before we get back to the business here, uh, we're looking uh, for a way to improve the business management of NGOs in Hong Kong. So we're going to use some of the money raised in Operation Santa Claus to try to create a, an educational program at Hong Kong University or perhaps another university. We're just starting the discussions today looking at training, sort of like EMBA training taking executives from the third sector, trying to improve their business management skills so when they run a charity, run a small NGO, they can sort of get more uh, for the money. So that's what we're doing this afternoon. That's why I'm all all juked up in my monkey suit here. Anyway, uh, Richard, uh, good morning to you and Happy New Year. Um, I think you see a bit of momentum continuing in 2014, don't you? Yes, I do. And I have to say that the Fed minutes that came out last night, uh, just adding more fuel to that fire. Uh, it's quite clear that growth is progressing quite nicely. In the third quarter, we're looking at around 4%. Fourth quarter is probably going to be in the high threes. That's really pretty good growth for the US. And I think what the Fed are looking at now is not just looking at growth, but they also have one or two concerns too about inflation that they've been mentioning. So the picture, to my mind, looks actually quite good. Well, I can't see any inflation. Where where do you see inflation? Where do they see inflation? Well, I think what they're concerned about is as growth continues and as uh, the wealth effect starts uh, working its way down into the economy, that inflation's likely to come through there. And don't forget that the whole idea behind QE is, especially in the very early stages, the big criticism of it was that if you print money, you create inflation. Um, that actually hasn't happened up to now. Um, but I think there's still uh, quite a lot of concern that could well happen in the future. Yeah, it could kick in any time, especially if you look at, okay, the difference between 2 and 3% may not sound like a lot to the average person listening, but think about that for a $16 trillion economy, um, you know, you're, you're, you're really looking at uh, one point, or what would it be? Uh, it would be about $1.6 trillion in stimulus. That's uh, extra added boost. Of course, if you take away uh, the the taper, that's about a trillion for the year, but you're still left with a net gain. Plus, you've got the big increase in stock prices, the big increase in housing prices. You know, that's a lot of wealth uh, effect coming uh, to the yeah, coming to the, the, the that, playground. That's, that's exactly how the, they, they really want the maths to work. And in fact, it looks as if some of the Fed board members were really being quite aggressive about how they may think tapering might come off. And of course, what we all hope and what the market's really looking for, I think, is that the whole growth story is going to start to take over the fact that they are doing the tapering. Um, and that at the end of the day, the people hardly notice the tapering because the growth is so good. So I think it's this very delicate balance that the Fed is working its way 
way through, and, of course, with a new Fed chairman. All that in mind, uh, what's your outlook for Hong Kong and Asia stocks? Well, you know, China is really the big unknown, or maybe the unknown known of this year, because uh, we saw over Christmas they released the fact that government debt is much higher than expected or than has been calculated in the past. Um, we've got the shadow banking sector that needs to be sorted through. There's quite a lot of consumer debt. So the debt position in China is a concern. And I think that what we need to be careful is that we monitor this closely and try and make sure that the debt situation doesn't distract the government from its other reform packages. So that's the negative side on China. My base case, however, is that U.S. growth will actually start to pull China out of what is, in effect, a hard landing um, and pull the recovery out. So I would expect that the Chinese and therefore the Hong Kong uh, market should start to recover later in the year. So a much stronger U.S. economy would help hide some of the uh, uh, some of the weakness in China and some of the weakness in other emerging markets? Well, you know what they say, a rising tide lifts all boats. And uh, I think the U.S. economy is now, there's absolutely no doubt that um, we're back on track with some uh, above average growth. Um, the next uh, one is going to be Europe. And Europe does tend to lag the U.S. by about a year. It has uh, uh, all through my career over the last 30 odd years. And I, I see no difference here. So I think as the U.S. comes out, uh, increases exports out of China, so too will Europe. And I I think that tide will actually uh, mean that China, which is la- uh, lagging at the moment, is a bit of a heavyweight, um, will start to be pulled along. Yeah, in the stock market now, you're seeing um, uh, quite a lot of losers, but you're seeing some really big winners. It, it seems like there's a lot of money on the sidelines waiting to get into the stories where you have a, a good story. Yesterday, it was the shoemakers in China. They just bounced like crazy. You got companies like Bell and Daphne moving 16%, you know, two days in a row and crazy stuff like that. And you had the small internet companies and, of course, the Macau gaming. It seems like this year it's not going to be the macro story. It's going to be a lot of money looking for the real winners because in terms of the macro, the taper is going to have an effect. Um, it is, yes. I, well, what we're all hoping is it's not going to be seen. But I think on the micro story, what's much more likely to happen is uh, we're probably going to see some winners coming out of this. So some companies will start to do well. So as last year, when investors could really look at, say, the US and Europe and look at the very big picture, this year they're going to have to look much more at sectors um, and much more at companies. So I think the big winners are going to be in active management, whereas last year it was very much in, in being passive and just looking looking at the indices. We see the dollar maintaining its uh, strength against um, a lot of its peers, uh, partly bolstered by the better-than-expected private jobs data in the United States, up 238,000. That could mean that the jobs report, the official government non-farm payrolls report this uh, Friday night, will be strong. Uh, If the dollar gains mightily this year, does that mean that all the emerging markets will suck? I don't think so. I think the emerging markets will probably dance to a different tune than the dollar. I am quite bullish on the dollar this year, but I don't really see it uh, breaking out of any major ranges that it's been in over the last uh, two to three years. But at the moment, it's on the weak front. Um, I think we're likely to see it move uh, maybe to the stronger side. Um, I think what's much likely to help the emerging markets, and especially when we're looking at markets that we've got around Southeast Asia, is this demand growth coming out of the US and Europe. And what we're likely to see is this kind of pull that's going to pull those markets up. Don't forget the uh, Southeast Asian emerging markets were actually looking pretty good only about 18 months ago. They had a bad year last year. Um, I don't really think they're going to be bad for long.
Yes, that's an interesting point. There's also this story about money wanting to come out of the bond market into equities or higher um, yielding, higher risk assets. Uh, you know, some people poo-pooed that story all last year. Towards the end of the year, we saw it starting to happen. Um, you've written about it. You've talked about it even a little bit today. Is that going to be a big story this year? Well, I, I think it is. But I think what we have to remember is we're already in the middle of that great switch between bonds to equities. Uh, last year, we had bonds pretty well down 16%, I think, in the U.S. last year, if you're looking on an index basis. Uh, the equity market was up uh, the thick end of 30% last year. That's an incredible spread if you happen to have a portfolio which has bonds and equities in. So I think we're, uh, we're in that trend already, and I think it's going to continue. Even last night, we saw the U.S. tenure over 3%, and that's only happened a few times uh, in the last few years. Okay, so uh, we need to wrap up fairly quickly, but in 30 seconds or so, what is your number one investment idea at the moment? Uh, number one. Well, I think uh, the markets are going to continue to roll. And if you're looking at sectors, I think it's going to be much of, of the same. I think banks will do well um, as uh, the yield curve gets steeper. And you know, you're talking about uh, some of that being on your website um, uh, in an hour or so. Uh, yeah, I mean, be- even in the last couple of days when markets been kind of, uh, you know, here and there, uh, the technologies and the financials have done really well. That's right. I think they will continue to do well because we're in a momentum market. This isn't necessarily a fundamental market looking at the moment at earnings or valuations or anything. We're in a momentum market. A lot of the retail investors still have to come in. And that bulldozer, I think, will keep on going, certainly for the first half of the year. Okay. You got the music there. You know that means it's time to finish. Yeah, it has a long intro uh, run there, so that's why I got it started under Richard. Richard's a good friend of this program, and he is the chief executive officer at Port Shelter Investment Management. So oil price is $107.15, and gold is now $1,225.50 a troy ounce. Yeah, we're trying to chase the flow of uh, the dollars on this program, and this is Money for Nothing on Radio 3. Well, you may think that Hong Kong's de facto central bank's main job is to set this city's monetary policy, but uh, just before Christmas, the HKMA launched a financial consumer education program. The man in charge is Vincent Lee, and he's in our studios with our reporter, Enid Choi. Enid, good, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Brian, and good morning, Vincent. Welcome morning. to the studio. So, Thank I mean, you. your title, Vincent, is pretty scary. You're Director General of Enforcement at HKMA. Sounds like some, you know, action... Uh, action figure hero, but um, now you've taken on this extra role. Um, why is the HKMA doing this? I thought it sort of belongs to the realm of um, police work. Well, in, indeed, my title. Uh, that does, doesn't that give me a split personality? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, uh, the consumer education program is very much part and parcel of our work to enhance the protection of depositors in Hong Kong. Uh, we've been working with other financial education uh, providers like the Consumer Council and the Investor Education Centre. Our, our aim is to share more information with the Hong Kong general public to enable them to be smart and responsible users of banking services in Hong Kong. 
it go hand in hand with our other work on enhancing regulation of banks in Hong Kong. It go hand in hand with our setup of a deposit protection board in Hong Kong. Overall, it's to give better protection to our depositors. And um, so what are the areas that you're going to be looking at? A number of areas, actually. Last year has been uh, our startup year. Um, the focus has very much been on uh, things like s- uh, safety and security in the use of Internet banking. Um, next year, we're going to expand. Uh, well, last year, actually, we, we also work on uh, credit cards, spending with credit cards. Next year, we're going to expand. Uh, we're thinking of uh, themes like uh, use, uh, personal loans. Banks have been pretty aggressive in promoting personal loans. In so Hong you're Kong. worried that the banks are a little bit too aggressive as interest rate uh, is expected to rise? I think rise. credit is cheap in around the world and in Hong Kong in particular. I think people, banks, uh, consumers need to better manage their interest rate risks. You know, rates can only go up. So what is um, what is your conversation with banks like these days? I mean, we, we know that they are you know, public, public broadcasts and, te- and, and, and government officials telling the public well, not to borrow too much money. But uh, what are you telling the uh, banks exactly? <laughs> I don't do supervision nowadays, but, but basically the key message is that good times uh, don't last forever. You know, you should do better risk management. And in fact, one of, the, one of the work that we've been doing since the global financial crisis is to make sure that we put more efforts to make sure that banks have a proper uh, risk governance framework. But interest rates being low doesn't mean good times. Interest rates going up can mean that good times are ahead. I think for a lot of the consumers, the indebted consumers, and that's that's where our consumer education work comes in. You know, rates go up, you know, that means more interest expenses. Uh, They should be careful with that. And you are also looking at the uh, increasingly sophisticated way um, of fraud online. Um, what are the new trends that you've noticed? Absolutely, recently? I think um, there are a number of trends. You know, uh, we could talk, you know, for, for for hours about. But I think one tip that I want to give to your listeners is that, um, you know, with the growing prop- popularity in the use of internet banking, from time to time you may get emails with hyperlinks to bank websites. Be careful with them because they are most likely to be fraudulent. Banks actually will never send out emails with hyperlinks to their transaction uh, web pages, and bank will never ask for your personal information or provide hyperlinks in their emails to you. So be careful with that. But I would have thought that, you know, for example, my bank um, gives me a security device, so I have to punch in a you know a one-off code, a one-off PIN number every time I access my ex- my, my account online. So that should give me sufficient protection. Uh, th- this right? is a different matter because from time to time you may get fraudulent emails uh, which looks which look like from your bank but in fact they are not. They they have they have hyperlinks in the emails. If you click on them, um, if you think that you have a- you have accessed your bank account and then you type in your personal information, it could lead to losses. And how about ATM fraud? Um, I mean, I've just heard about a friend who went to went to, to um, a, a restaurant and got his. Um, um, no, actually, that's not ATM. Sorry, credit card fraud and got his credit card copied. I mean, is that is there anything you can do to to protect consumers? I think credit card. I think the the message I want to give here today is um, for particularly for your listeners. Uh, now that we're in the holiday season, many of your listeners have uh, travel plans abroad. 
Um, in the past year, the DHKME has been working with banks to enhance the security of your ATM cards, you know, your debit cards, your credit cards. The reason for that is to uh, prevent unauthorized cash withdrawal. But that also means that, um, you know, um, uh, people, if they want to travel abroad, um, they should um, activate their overseas cash withdrawal function uh, before they make the b- before they travel overseas, they could do that um, via internet banking. They could do that um, on the ATMs. They could even go to bank branches to do it. It's just to um, uh, another measure, another added measure uh, to to protect um, the depositors and the card holders in Hong Kong. It may be a little bit of inconvenience, but if you plan ahead, surely you know it gives you overall better protection and more enjoyment when you travel overseas. Okay, Vincent, uh, thank you very much. Enid, you as well. Thanks for bringing in this story. And, and Vincent Lee, Director General for Enforcement at the HKMA. Time is now 27 and a half minutes after 8 o'clock. Just so I wanted to take a quick look at Thailand. The political crisis is showing no signs of a resolution there. And uh, we're joined now by Capital Economics Crystal Tech and to tell us about the developments. Crystal, good morning. Good morning. Uh, from an investment point of view, Thailand has been dangerous of late. Um, will that continue? Well, yes. It looks like the situation is still highly uncertain until we get more clarity on what's going on in the political front. It looks like it's going to be choppy times ahead for investors. And what about doing business there? Um, one might be a little concerned about investing uh, in markets, but actually on the ground, has there been much effect, let's say, on exporters? Well, at the moment, the impact is fairly limited. The risk is that if protesters end up creating massive logistical disruptions, then that would have a much stronger impact on exporters. What would you say to people taking a slightly longer view? Is it uh, time now to maybe start thinking about Thailand? Because we have seen a number of these crises come up over the years, but at some point, things do get back to normal. Have prices dropped enough to attract interest? Well, the truth is, like you said, Thailand is no stranger to unrest. But over the past 10 years, there has not been a long-term solution that has been formed. And until, as long as that remains the case, such instances of political uncertainty will flat again. So generally, I would say that investment environment in Thailand is far more uncertain now. And as long as this deep political divide continues, that's going to weigh on the country's long-term growth prospects. Does it feel like this just doesn't get solved, that it continues on, you know, indefinitely? Well, at the moment, it looks like there's, there's no sign that the crisis is nearing an end. And the longer this impasse lasts, the worse it is going to be for the economy. What's the main message you're telling your clients? Well, the main message is that the Thailand economic outlook this year was not good to start with, and now with all this political uncertainty, it's certainly looking even more bleak. Okay, well, interesting uh, story. We'll watch it develop and uh, perhaps talk to you again. Thanks, Crystal. That's Crystal Tan, Asia economist at Capital Economics in Singapore. Well, just rounding out the markets as we go now, uh, looking at the Nikkei, it's down 216 points at 15,905. Markets uh, trending a bit lower. The ASX 200 down 10 to 53.07. And the Kospi in Seoul is about flat for the day.
Yeah, we sort of go out with uh, David Bowie's Gene Genie and mainly cloudy skies. Uh, cool temperatures today, maximum temperature about 16. Only 16 as the high, but then, hey, get used to it. This is January. What do you expect? The outlook for tomorrow, rather cool, but sunshine over the weekend. We got the news now with Samantha Butler. Health officials in Canada have confirmed the first known human death in North America caused by the H5N1 bird flu strain. The health minister said this was an isolated case and the person who died had recently travelled to China. The BBC's Beth McLeod reports. The victim began to feel ill while aboard a plane travelling from Beijing to Canada. They were later admitted to hospital in the province of Alberta, where they died last Friday. Canadian health officials didn't disclose details of the victim's age or sex in order to protect the family's privacy. They did, however, emphasise that the risk to the general public is extremely low, as the virus is normally only spread through contact with infected birds. The Canadian officials said they're in contact with the Chinese authorities, who were looking into how the victim may have contracted the flu. The family of an American man detained in North Korea has criticized the American basketball player Dennis Rodman during his visit to the secretive state. The retired NBA star is the most high-profile American to have met leader Kim Jong-un, but has refused to discuss the case of Kenneth Bay with the North Korean leadership. Mr. Bay was sentenced to 15 years hard labor in May last year over an alleged sedition plot. Rodman has suggested Mr. Bay was guilty of the crimes. 